morning we're back in Romans chapter 10. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles there. I think they're fixing their pulpit upstairs too. (laughs) Romans chapter 10. Actually, I'm going to begin reading in Romans 9, verse 30. And we'll go into chapter 10, just a few verses. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him. Notice that. The stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, is a Him. It's a person. Whoever believes in Him, that's Christ, will not be put to shame. Romans 10.1 Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's the Jews, is that they may be saved. They're not saved because they're not attaining unto the righteousness. They're seeking righteousness by keeping the law, but they're not attaining it. So they're not saved. Verse 2 I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now let me just start out by saying something here. We just heard three testimonies. We've heard a number of testimonies lately. Let me tell you this. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And actually, in the original, it's interesting that the construction, the word order, is not the same as in the English. In the Greek, it actually says the end of the law is Christ for righteousness. The emphasis isn't so much on the law not being righteousness as much as Christ being the righteousness for everyone who believes. Listen, I want to just encourage everybody who has given a testimony, will give a testimony, as you give your testimonies, when people ask you about your testimonies, take every opportunity when you speak those testimonies to lost friends and lost family and to your co-workers and students and whatever else. Make certain, if this is true of you, and I don't want to force people to say what isn't true, but if this is true of you, you know what? Make much of Christ. 
Go there. Emphasize Him. Speak of Him. Tell people what He's done for you. The focus... Listen. Yes, God gives new hearts. Yes, God causes us to be born again. Absolutely essential. Christ said without it, you, you, there's no entrance, folks. But I'm telling you this. Your acceptance with God is based wholly and entirely on what Christ did. Christ for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's Christ for righteousness. Without that, you perish. He is the source of your hope. He is the source of our acceptance. Now listen. My message today, I've entitled, Help for the Dogs. Now, hopefully you'll understand that title as I proceed. Look, first what I want you to do is think back to Romans 9. I want to take, and now you know we're not going to read all through it and spend a whole lot of time there, but I want to take you back there just for a second. Back in Romans chapter 9, from verses 1 through 23, as Stacy talked about, she came here during the beginning when we were talking about the fact that God elects. The man known as the Apostle Paul, there in Romans 9, he answers the question, you ready for it? Why are there so many in Israel who are not part of the true Israel? Why is that? His answer, the purpose of God According to election determines who will be in the true Israel. It's not by being born an Israelite that makes a person a true Jew. It's being elected and called by God that matters. Now listen. The true Israel, and oh how so many people today need to understand this. The true Israel is not defined by the physical Israel. Not all who are of Israel belong to Israel. And that's what was said back in Romans 9, 6. It's not children of the flesh, but rather, what children? Children of the promise, who are the ones who are counted or reckoned as true offspring of Abraham. Now folks, this is exciting. And, and you know what? We need to understand this. We need to, we, I want you guys to have a grasp on what this truly means. It is only true Israelites who are children of God. What Paul says over there in Romans 9 is, look, it's the children of the promise who are children of God. It's not the children of the flesh who are children of God. They're the true offspring of Abraham. You know what that says? Here it is, folks. Only true Israelites are children of God. Only true Israelites get adopted in the family of God. Only true Israelites are forgiven of their sin. Only true Israelites go to heaven. That's the point of it. Listen, in Romans 9.4, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption. I want you to understand this. Adoption belongs to Israel. And to no one else. Only true Israelites get adopted into that family. Now here's the thing. You say, well, what's so exciting about that? Look, if Paul had come along in Romans 9 and said, okay, here it is. 
the only way to be a true Israelite is to be born one. The only way to be a true Jew is if you happen to be born to parents in the direct bloodline of Abraham. Then you know what? What's that mean? All us Gentiles, we're all left alienated to God, dead in our sins. We're all damned and without hope. That's the truth. But you know what? As soon as Paul says, nope, it's not by the flesh. It's not because of bloodlines. It's not because of parents. It's not because of physical nationality. As soon as we find out that it's by the free electing purposes of God, and that alone is the basis for identifying the true spiritual Israel, it does not depend on the flesh. It's all because of God's call. Suddenly, do you know what that does? It opens the door wide for the Gentiles to come on in. Does it not? And in verse 24, that's exactly where He takes us. The whole idea here is, folks, the middle wall of partition, the dividing wall of hostility, separating the Gentiles, it's busted down. We hear now becoming a Jew... Not because of physical birth. In Romans 9.24, here you have it. Vessels of mercy. Who are they? Not all physical Israel. He says this, even us whom God has called. Who are these us? They're the vessels of mercy. And where do they come from? Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Look. The Gentiles are in. From this verse all the way through the end of chapter 10, where we're hoping to get a little bit into today, you know what Paul wants us to see? He wants us to see the church, just like this one, just like this one that meets here in this building. He wants us to see this church. Is it not true? How many of you are Jews? We have a Jew here? We don't have a single national Israelite in this room. And this is what Paul wants us to see. That this is no fluke. This is no aberration. Paul wants us to see that the church of God, the true Israel, is being filled up, not primarily with Jews, but with who? Multitudes of uncircumcised heathen Gentiles. And why is that? The answer he gives now is not election. That was Romans 9, 1-23. through The answer He gives now, there in Romans 9.30, is that the Gentiles are entering the kingdom of God. Why? They are attaining to a righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. While the Jews, on the other hand, are excluded. And why are they excluded? For the simple reason that they are not attaining to a righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. There's only one way to be saved. That's God's way. And God's way is that you attain to a righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. But the Jews don't want to be saved that way. While the Gentiles, they see this dividing wall thrown down by this way. 
Doors opened. The welcome mats out. Those who were once far off are now finding an opportunity to be brought near by the righteousness that is not their own. And yet, you know what? What we see is the Jews are saying, or the Gentiles are saying rather, we want that. Now here's the thing. Some of you are saying, I hope it gets more exciting than this. You know what? We don't hardly get this. I mean, you think about it. Here we all sit here at Fatty's Burgers, 2008, and every one of us is a Gentile. I'm certain we don't feel the weight of this. What what exactly Paul's saying here? You know, think about it. We are so accustomed, are we not? We're we're Americans. Everybody says, well, America was founded on scriptural principles. The, the forefathers came over here and they had the scriptures right away and we had these great awakenings. And of course, I mean, we don't even think twice about the fact that we're Gentiles and we're being accepted. That's just a given. I mean, we've heard so often, John 3.16, God so loved the world. I mean, we're Gentiles. We're in that world. He so loved the world. It doesn't even enter our minds that His, His love or His specific people are Israel and that somehow we as Gentiles are far off. That, that kind of mentality, we feel like, Today, what we're, we're in the in crowd. But to be a Gentile... Listen, it's estimated Paul wrote the book of Romans in maybe about the year 56. Let's, let me take you back. Let's get in the time capsule and go back to what it was like to be a Gentile in the year 56. Try to feel the weight of this. Gentiles were almost... Look, folks... I mean, you got to see how this was. The Gentiles. If you were a Gentile and you were walking through the streets of Jerusalem, do you know what they would have done? They would have stepped out of the way. Do you know why? They would have got out of your path. They would have got away from you. You know why? Because in many ways you were like a leper. You know why? Unclean. If we, they, they, if we even touch the, the, they're on the outside. They're not God's people. And do you not believe that the Jews felt or the Gentiles felt that? They felt that. They felt God's people. Oh, I don't doubt a whole lot of them didn't care. But they always had this idea. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, the Gentiles were far off. I mean, here we are. We're out there. We're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. We have no hope without God in the world. I mean, this is how... Think about it. There you were. Unclean. Uncircumcised. Unjewish. Unsaved. Unwanted. I mean, look. You're a Gentile and you look at the history of God. If you were under some burden of sin and you were wanting a way, looking for a way, and look at all you've got against you, the Jews, God's own people. They're always keeping you at arm's length. They don't want anything to do with you. They won't even eat with you. They don't want to talk to you. You're vermin. You're unclean. 
And you look around and you see God isn't doing anything with the Gentiles. I mean, for thousands of years, what do we got? Some Ninevites maybe one time? Other than that, all God's working was with who? With Abraham and with Moses and with the 12 tribes and Joshua and David and Solomon. It was always the Jews. Always the Jews. As I was thinking about this, I just imagined this little dirty, unwanted pathetic street kid who's just standing at a big department store window and he's looking through it and there's some great toy in there that he wants but he knows he can never have it. There he is, unwanted, unhelped, just all in his mire and his filth and unnoticed, rotting away in his sin and his wretchedness. He knows he can never have it. Nobody cares. Nobody wants him. And I'll tell you what happened. All of a sudden, the day spring from on high came upon the scene. Listen to me. Christ Himself looked at a Syrophoenician woman and called her a dog. That's how it was. That even the Christ says, look, I came to feed the bread to the kids and you're a dog. And that's when she said, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. But then Christ came on the scene. And I'm telling you this, even though He called that woman a dog, He came to bring salvation to the Gentiles. He came to help the dogs. But if you were some Gentile you just felt, you'd known. I feel the uncleanness. It's not just that the Jews say it to me and I hate them. It's that they say it to me and my own conscience pricks me. I know I'm, I'm debased. I've done wicked things in my mind. But what hope do I have? I'm not one of God's people. I'm far off. I feel it. I'm imagining God to be like these people, like these Jews. They don't even want to eat with me. Surely that's how their God thinks of me as well. And they hear, there's a man. They're calling him a prophet. He's doing miracles. Maybe he's carrying, he's a merchant. He's carrying his goods through the streets of Capernaum one day. And there's that prophet. He wants to hear, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for me? I'm unclean. I'm a Gentile. I'm a dog. I feel it. I'm in my filth. And there, Christ says, I tell you, many will come from east and west Many. He's talking outside of Israel. Beyond the Jews. Many. And they'll recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom, the Jews themselves, will be thrown into the outer darkness. Can you imagine uncircumcised, unclean, hopeless merchant traveling those streets that day, load of sin weighing him down, ready to weep for anguish that there he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't one of God's people. 
this an unclean dog. And suddenly to have these words come across his ears, many from east and west, they're going to be accepted. They're going to sit in the kingdom of heaven. He always thought God was just like those people putting him at arm's length, hating and despising Gentiles, always avoiding him. But he hears this. What do you say? Folks, this is big news for people like us, for people like him. I mean, the Apostle Paul, you've got, you've got Paul, he comes along. I mean, can you imagine again? Take yourself. You're a Gentile. You're in Ephesus. Okay, Ephesus, it's a major city. You've, you've got this city that... What was the big thing there? Diana, the goddess. You know, in those parts, they called Paul Zeus at one time. These are the gods they knew. Can you imagine if suddenly your sexual immorality, your lying, filthy mouth, all the wicked deeds you've done begin to catch up to you, begin to prick your conscience, and here you are. What do you have? Zeus? Diana? Do you know the stories about those gods and goddesses? They were for the most part uncaring of men and cruel. And there was nothing in all of it to deal with men's sins. Nothing! You look around, there's no hope in all that. Zeus and Apollos and the rest of them. No hope. Nothing to deliver a man from the guilt of his sin. And one day a letter arrives from the Apostle Paul in the church that met there. And do you know what Paul said in that epistle in Ephesians 3.6? He says, I want to proclaim a mystery to you. What's the mystery? The mystery is that the Gentiles are not left out where the dogs are. They're fellow heirs. Members of the same body. Partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Now the Gentiles are having the unsearchable riches of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was putting myself in the house of one man. This is an Italian Gentile by the name of Cornelius. Folks, there definitely were first century Gentiles who went to the synagogues. They were hoping. They were aching. They were reaching out. They were praying. They wanted God. Where is He? They, they were trying to get in. They longed to get in. But they were outside. They were still a Gentile dog. They were still out there. You've got a guy like him, Cornelius. He's praying. He's giving. He's being sacrificial. Folks, I can imagine this man. This is in Acts 10. I can imagine at times him thinking, are my Gentile prayers getting to God? I'm not. It must have rung in his ears. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Is this working? I mean, something was in his heart. Something was burning there. He wanted God. He wanted to reach out. Is there hope for the Gentile? I mean, I'm telling you, an angel appears to the guy and says, look, you go call one Peter. He's going to bring words to you 
that are going to save you and your household. I mean, can you imagine that guy coming unglued? Peter walks in the house. And when Peter walks in the house, what does he do? I mean, what does he say? Almost the first words out of his mouth. I'm a Jew. I'm not supposed to eat with you. I'm not supposed to come near to you. I'm not supposed to be involved with you. I'm not supposed to be... And in fact, if God had not told me right now to come here, I wouldn't be here. That's basically what He said to him. I'm a Jew. Up till right now, it never even entered my mind that the Gentiles were going to be included and that I should come to a place like... God had to give me a, put me in a trance, not brought this sheet down from heaven three times and show me that God is no respecter of persons and I should not think of any other people as unclean. I mean, here it is. It's so fresh. The open wounds of this. Folks, you know what he sat there and heard? Peter says, Christ came. Christ was put to death. Christ was hanged on a tree. His Father raised Him from the dead. And now everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine... All the prayers, all the giving, Cornelius never certain he could get in. Never certain. Now Christ is set forth. Not just as a Savior. Not just as the Jewish Savior. But as His Savior. I mean, you think Antioch and Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas. They spoke. They go into this place. There's the Jews. They go to Him and they say, Jews, we want to tell you about your Messiah. Here it is. Your Messiah has come to you. He came here. It was one man named Jesus of Nazareth. He has lived for you. He has died for you. He's risen for you. Believe this. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you, Jews, first. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You know what happened? Jews, here's your Messiah. He came and He died like a common criminal on a cross. He shed His blood to wash away sins. They looked at that. They say, that's offensive. We don't want that. We don't want any part of that. You know, what, you know what Paul did? Okay. World, come on in. 
They count themselves unworthy. We're taking it to the world. And you know what? When the world heard that, when the Gentiles heard that, there's a Savior. And no matter how much wickedness you've done in your life and no matter how filthy and how stained you are, He came and He lived and He died and He was hung on that tree and He rose from the dead and His Father took Him up into glory and He has been victorious over sin. And if you will put your faith, the Gentiles said, we want that. We can believe that. Yes! And the, it says that they began rejoicing and glorifying God. I mean, can you imagine all of a sudden to realize, I'm included! No more alienation! It's gone! The Jewish Messiah, rejected by the Jews themselves, now offered to me, and if only I will take Him by faith, I'm included! I can believe that! I want that! So the Gentiles are in. The Jews are out. Paul says, okay, we know how all this relates to election, but on the human level, why? What's going on here? Why aren't the Jews getting in? What's wrong? We've heard, they've heard the gospel. Why isn't it producing salvation among them? And that's where we come in at Romans 9.30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Folks, you know what the simple matter is? Christ is a stone. He's a rock. Now you know what? You can view that rock in several different ways. I could put a big rock have it hauled in by some big old truck and dumped in my yard as big as this pulpit. You know, an ornamental rock. Now, you know, somebody could come running down the street and they could run into that rock and flip over it and it'd hurt them. It'd trip them up. It'd knock them over. It'd bust their knees. But you know what? One of my children could run out and see that big old rock and think, wow, that thing looks really sturdy and jump up on it and find it to be a sure foundation to stand on. That's basically what's happening with Christ. The Gentiles looked at that. He's being set before them. And you know all He is? He's a rock of stumbling. To the, to the Gentiles, they're looking at that. They're seeing something altogether different. They're seeing a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is a rock of salvation for them. And you know what? They're saying, we believe. We believe. The Jews, on the other hand, they wanted another kind of Savior. They're stumbling. You know what? They were scoffing. We don't need the righteousness of this Christ. We've got a law. We're going to keep our law. No! We do not want a Messiah that comes in and tells us how bad we are and that the only way to be accepted by God is to trust what He did. You know what? They wanted a Messiah that was going to come in and congratulate them for all their righteousness, 
for all their law keeping. They wanted not some apparently weak, die like a criminal on a cross kind of Savior. They wanted some guy that was going to ride in on the right white charger, commend them for their righteousness, exalt them to places of primacy, set up his earthly kingdom, knock over the Roman Empire. That's what they were looking for. And you know what? In the end, Gentiles are included and the Jews are excluded. Folks, then we go to Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's Jews, is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now look, I want to show you something. Paul's praying for them in verse 1 because they're not saved. His prayer to God, his desire before God is that they be saved. Why would you have that desire? Because somebody's not saved. Why are they not saved? Because they're not attaining unto this righteousness. That's the whole point there. Look. As Jeremiah says, some of you that have seen the Spurgeon tract, you know this text from Jeremiah. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And they're not saved. The, the greatest, most longed for event in Jewish history came and went. The Jewish Messiah came. God walked among them in the flesh. Their time had come. Harvest time was there. The kingdom of God was at hand. But they could not discern the times. They didn't get it. The heat and the glory of the days of summer are upon them. But then it's gone. I mean, Christ talked about if in a green tree they do these things, but the green tree's gone. Christ is gone. He came and He went. He came, He lived among them. He suffered. He bled. He died. He arose. He ascended to the right hand. And the thing is, they missed it. Oh yeah, they had zeal. They had all sorts of zeal. But listen folks, this is the issue. They missed Christ. You know what? The Jehovah's Witnesses that walk these streets, they have great zeal. But I've talked to these people before. How are you going to get to heaven? And I remember one of the most honest, truthful ones that I spoke with, not in an arrogant fashion, but in an apparent, at least, form of humility. He said, I'm going to get to heaven by being good. I'm going to get to heaven by what I do. 
You can be zealous as anything. Let me point something out to you. You can be zealous. But if you are ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, all your zeal is going to lead you straight to hell. Listen to me. You can have all the Mother Teresas in this world. You can go sell out your life to feed and clothe the poor in Calcutta. You can give yourself to martyrdom. You can give all your money away. You can have zeal untold. You've got Billy Graham out there. You've got Schuler out there. They're saying things like this. As long as a person has zeal, as long as they have a, a, a zeal and an ache in their heart and they're longing for something, even if they never hear about Christ, they're going to go to heaven. The Pope says something like that. man has zeal to be just. Whether or not he knows Christ, he's... Those are lies right out of hell, folks. If you are ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, you are not saved. It does not matter how much zeal you might have. It doesn't matter if you are wrong in your zeal at this point. You are dead wrong. You will die in your sins. Guy last Tuesday came to our table. He wanted to discuss some religious things. He said, he's a Jew. He's, he's from the tribe of Dan. So what? So what? Everybody's got their list of spiritual credentials. So what? If you, in all your, you know, you know what? Here you got the Apostle Paul. He said, when he was lost, he'd come up to you and he'd say, let me tell you about my spiritual credentials. Circumcised the eighth day. I have the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Jew. I was a Pharisee. We came to the law. I was blameless. He goes through all these things. People love to do that. Let me just show you my religious credentials. And what Paul's saying is this one thing. If you don't have this to your spiritual credential, no matter how zealous you are and whatever else may be true about you, you are damned and you are in your sin. And here is the credential that you better have. You better have attained to the righteousness that comes from God. That's the one thing that is absolutely necessary. Now here's the thing. We just need to stop here. And as we finish this up, let me tell you this. Because attaining to the righteousness of God is so critical, without it you can't be saved. Because it is absolutely necessary. Because Paul prays for those who have not attained unto it. And he prays for them as lost people. Obviously because they are lost. Why are they lost? Clearly because they have not attained this. It's not because they lack zeal. It's because they fell short of the righteousness that comes from God. And my question to you right now is this. Do you even know what that is? Because if you don't, if you're ignorant of it, the thing is, we can be ignorant about a lot of things. You know, some of you don't know how your car engine works. Some of you don't know how a tree grows. You don't know how an airplane stays in the sky. You can be ignorant about those things. And you know what? If you are, or even if you have an idea, but you're wrong, it's not going to matter a whole lot. Whether you know how the plane flies or not isn't going to keep it in the air. 
But if you are ignorant about this, you go to hell. Not for a day, not a light, trivial place, but a place under the wrath of Almighty God. The smoke of your torment will go up forever and ever. This is serious stuff. This is a deadly ignorance. This is an ignorance that will damn your soul and body to unbearable flame. So I don't want there to be any confusion in anybody's mind as to what Paul means when he says there is a righteousness that comes from God. Here it is. Pay close attention. This is the heart of our Gospel. You were created by God. He owns you. He has authority over you. And as such, He has given you laws that He requires you to live by. As your Maker, He has created rules and statutes and laws that He demands. They're righteous. They're good. And He lays them before mankind as a rule by which to live. But the breaking of those laws is not a minor thing. To ever break that law once is to sin. Sin is transgression of the law. It is lawlessness. That's what sin is. The wage of sin is death. You break the law, you die. Eternal death. Physical death. All manner of death described in Scripture wrapped up in one. You die if you do not keep this law. Disobedience even one time brings upon us that wage. That wage is death. Eternal. The problem? Each of us has broken that law. Each one of us sinned. We've sinned beyond our own ability to count. You have. And if you sit there right now self-righteously thinking you're a good person, that self-righteousness is a abominable in the sight of God. You are wicked and you are wretched in that self-righteousness. As was already said by in one of the testimonies, our righteousnesses are filthy rags. Our guilt runs deep. God said, here's the righteous standard. Here's my law. I required of you. But as Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous. None is righteous. Do you see the folly of the Jews? They're seeking by the law to attain righteousness by the law. God comes along to them and says, None is righteous. None keeps My law. All have sinned and fall short of that law. Now here's where man goes wrong really, really often. He says, God's going to make exceptions. God's going to grade on a curve. God's going to 
He's not going to be so strict as that. That's what man tries to convince himself of. Because every man knows. You know, everybody will tell you out on the streets, why, we're all sinners. They don't really believe it a whole lot. I mean, if you ask them on the other side, are you a good person? Well, we're all sinners, but yeah, I'm a good person. Don't you understand being a sinner means you're evil and wicked and wretched and depraved? And People won't get that. They think, oh yeah, you know, I... I cheat on my wife. I, I've robbed the store. I, I, I'm a pretty good person. Men are not only guilty, they're awful blind as well. But here's our problem. We've got this law. God demands we keep it. We haven't kept it. The law is righteous. But God says none's righteous. That means none's kept the righteous law. We all fall short of it. You know what? In verse 5 here in 10, it says uh, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. All you have to do if you want to live and live forever, just do the commandments. Now, catch that. Do them, not just try to do them. Not just sometimes do them. Not just try to do some of them. If you're going to live by keeping God's commandments, you've got to keep all of them. All the time. But you know what verse 4 says? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. What this tells us is that there's a way to get righteousness without having to keep God's law perfectly. Which is really, really, really good news if you have not kept God's law. It's really, really good news if you're a fornicator or adulterer or a homosexual or a thief or a blasphemer or covetous or greedy or any of the other. It's really good news. Because all those things are titles that belong to people that have not kept God's law. But what we're finding out now is that Christ is the end of getting acceptance to God that way. In fact, like I told you, in the original Greek, the construction is actually the end of the law is Christ for righteousness. Christ is the righteousness. Now, this is where I don't want you to understand. There's a righteousness that comes from God. Okay, how does it come? How do I get it? Where is it? What is it? Well, it's basically this. Jesus Christ came, and as Romans 5.19 says, by the obedience of one, the many are made righteous. By his obedience. Now, somebody's going to say, well, what's that obedience? This is the cross. Well, what, what Philippians 5 tells us is he was obedient. He was obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. His obedience carries all the way through, all the way through his life, even right to the cross. It's a package deal. By the obedience of one, many are made righteous. That means somehow that righteousness He worked out because He came under the law. He came as a man, born of a virgin. He came under the law. He submitted Himself to it. And you know what? He always did every single thing that was according to the will of His Father and that pleased His Father. Every single time, all the time, always, He kept it perfectly. Now, here's the thing. By His obedience, many are made righteous. How does that obedience get over to us? 
to become our righteousness. It says it's by faith. By faith. What does faith mean? And we hear that word a lot, but what does it mean? It means I believe that Christ is able to save me that way. It means that I believe there is a washing away of my sin, my guilt, my debt by what He did. And there's more than that. There's a credit. There's a righteousness. Not only is my debt paid, I am actually looked at by God as one who has kept His law perfectly. I get that from Christ. It's called a righteousness from God. We find again in, in Romans 5, it's called the gift of God. The gift of righteousness. It's a gift, which means what? I don't earn it. It means it's freely given. Oh, but isn't it amazing? Paul not only says that they were ignorant of it, right at the end of verse 3 he says they would not Submit to it. You look at that and you say, why? Why? If anybody were to hear from God, here is a righteousness. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift. It's free. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Look, there's my son. Look at him earning and sweating and working out, meriting a perfect righteousness. See him take that obedience and that righteousness all the way to the cross. See him suffer under my wrath. Could somebody say, nope, don't want that? How? Why? Why would they not submit to it? What's going on? Let me tell you something. This comes right down to the reason that men and women, the majority of them on this earth right now, are not saved. Do you know why they're not? Because men want to make God their debtor. Men want to be God. They want to put God in a position where He owes them something. And if they can work it out and they can be good, then God owes it to them. Oh, how often I see this. Oh, but I've prayed. I've prayed. I mean, it's, I've done this. Have, I have come across people that they are so angry that they have not gotten their way or their thing from God after all the good they did, after all they've served Him, after all they've prayed to Him, after all they've done and they've fasted and they've given. And God, they're like that older brother, are they not? How come I don't get the fatted calf? You've never killed anything for me. They want to put God in a place 
where He owes them something. Listen to me. Here's the issue. It's man's pride that lies right in the way of submitting to the righteousness of God. Do you know why it is? Because men, they are so determined to believe that they are good that they will go to hell for it. They are so determined to believe they are good and God owes them something. They are so determined to believe grandpa and grandma were good people and they deserve to be in heaven. They're so determined to believe that they deserve heaven. That they at heart are good people. And you know what the Gospel does? Do you know what Christ does? Do you know why they hated Christ? Because He told them the truth. And for anybody to submit to the righteousness of God, they've got to humble themselves and they've got to come face to face with the fact that they are not righteous. They are not good good people. The proud sons of Adam must accept that righteousness alone comes from God. And in order to do that, they have to admit that they don't have any righteousness of their own. They must admit that they are sinners, that they are wicked, that they are evil, that they are not good, they are not nice, they are not admirable, not honorable, not acceptable, not reputable, not valuable, not wonderful. Men only abandon their own righteousness when God breaks them and they're brought face to face with a stark reality that they don't have anything to offer themselves acceptable before God on their own. And prideful men will absolutely clench their teeth and go to hell holding to their own righteousness. That's the issue. And as I was just saying that, that sat wrong with some... Some of you are sitting there and you're saying, I'm not that bad. I am not that wretched. You ask people, are you evil? No. I mean, I know I've sinned, but I'm not evil. You know, people like Adolf Hitler, they're evil. Are you wicked? No. You know, that, that's right there in the same category. Evil people, wicked people, you know, those are the people that run around in the gutters and have the orgies. And the, you know, they're, they're... Don't you understand what Scripture says? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. God has never thrown a good man into hell. The wages of sin is death. You say, I was just a little lie. It's death. You are wicked by nature. Wicked. Worthless. You are undesirable to God. You are simply fodder and fuel for the fire. And until you realize that, until you come face to face with that, the righteousness of Christ will mean nothing. It will have no value. Most people in this world will not submit to this. But if you are wicked, if you want to escape your sin, if you're looking for an answer, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for rescue, if you're looking for salvation, 
There it is. How does it get from Christ to me? By faith. You say, how does that happen? Well, Because God said it would happen. And what God does is the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He takes all that glorious merit of Christ and He lays it to your account. It's justification. It's the heart of our Gospel. And you know what? We Gentiles are freely invited to come in. There is help for the dog. Amen. You are dismissed.